The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you on Food Radio, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to Heritage Radio Network. I've picked up a whole bunch of new Twitter followers. I'm almost at 300, which makes me feel so honored to have your ears and your attention. I know that everybody has a lot of um, different entertainment options out there to choose from. And I'm just really honored that you choose to spend some time with me. And I'm really excited that I get to bring you Food Radio every week. And today, joining me in the studio is no exception. I have Ray Venezia, a skilled master butcher and the spokesperson for Master Purveyors. He is a third-generation butcher. Sorry. (laughs) He's been involved in the meat industry his entire life and has extensive knowledge of butchery fundamentals and production operations. For over a decade, Ray was the vice president of meat operations at Fairway Markets, where he has instituted reforms that helped each store exceed performance goals and appeal to customers. Definitely true for me. I love Fairway. Ray has done a variety of live educational demonstrations from how to carve a Thanksgiving turkey to how to grill the perfect steak on several television shows, including Rachel Ray, Dr. Oz, Fox and Friends, and Good Day New York. He is also working on his first everyday meat guide, which will be published in spring of 2016. Welcome. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So speaking of cooking demonstrations, you just mentioned where you were prior to coming out to Roberta's. Why don't you tell us yeah, where It you was went? a real treat for me. Being my age, it was Charles Oakley of the New York Knicks. I mean, this is a guy I lived and died with myself watching on television. So it was a real treat to meet him. And I am always thrilled when I meet people that are passionate about food and how they cook their food and so into it. I've spent my life doing it, so it's always exciting to meet people like that. And he was the one doing the demonstration? No, he was there because he does have restaurants, and he was looking for the best meat available, and Masters is where to go, and that's why he was there, and we had a great conversation. He had a great day and got behind the grill and started to cook. That's awesome. Okay, so tell me about Masters. Um, In terms of, are you accessible to retail customers? We will be. We okay. are going to have a website coming up very shortly. It will be going out, and it turns out I've spent a career trying to get people the freshest, best quality meat possible. My grandfather always told me, the only way to sell people fresh meat is you got to start with fresh meat. And I was thrilled to get with Masters because it's the last bastion where butchers still roam the earth, and the meat still comes fresh hanging on a hook, which has 10 to 15% more moisture in it before you even start, which okay. is what it's all about, keeping the moisture in your meat. And the top quality, where you can actually see it for yourself, cut it for yourself, and it's only one process. It comes in, it gets cut right to your house. I can sell it to you fresher this way than out of a store. I I try to tell people, like, the closer you can get back to the animal, the fewer steps that that animal went between the grazing and your plate, the better, because that's how you know... What you're getting is fresh and good. So when you say moisture in the meat, are you talking about water content? Yeah, you're talking the the basic natural moisture that's in a piece of meat. And the more you process the piece of meat and cut it open, the more ability it has to leak out. It's the same principle when you put a steak on on the dish on your kitchen counter and it fills up with with the liquid. 
That's what happens. Now, when they fabricate, they cryovac it in primals. That starts that suction out of that meat. It's two, three weeks before it gets to retail stores. This coming direct from a slaughterhouse hanging on a hook, it's one process, cut, then sealed individually directly to your house. And that moisture is a big deal because people don't understand that that is what you're trying to do no matter how you're cooking, roasting, grilling. It's how much moisture can you keep in the meat so that you don't lose the flavor and it stays soft and tender. I think that the, the conception, or maybe you can correct the misconception, is that people think that that comes from fat, that that's the... That the moisture that you have in a burger or you, that you have in a steak is actually from the fat that's in the meat, but it's actually the water, and the, the younger the meat, since it's been slaughtered, the more moist it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, the fat does play a part, but mm -hmm. just like any animal or humans, there's a lot of moisture in the body to start, and that's exactly what you want to keep and protect. So now let's say that we've gotten the best cut of meat that we have. What, what do you recommend doing with it? It's summertime. People are standing outside looking at their grill. What are some of your tips for grilling? Well, first and, and foremost is if you have a fork, throw it away. Don't okay. ever poke your meat with a fork and let all that gorgeous juice. I mean, everybody's excited to see the juice. Oh, is it juicy? Too late. Now it's out. It's not going to get back in. So you want to use barbecue tongs that are long enough so you don't burn yourself, but tongs. And the other big key, only flip once. Do not keep flipping over and over and over again. Timing is very important. Just because you're out on a grill... Your time when you're in the house, the oven, the stove, time on your grill too. You'll be better off. That's so true of so many cooking things. When I, you know, like when you're trying to brown anything, like brown potatoes in a pan, like you can't keep moving them around. Like they need the contact with the metal that's getting hot in order for that Maillard effect to take place. And if you keep just turning it over because you're excited, it's, go it's not going to happen. It's, you're not going to get that same sort of crust on the meat, right? Yeah, I mean, it amazes me that for some reason when we're outside, we don't put the same thought process into the cooking or the cleaning. You wouldn't have your oven be dirty because you want it to work right. But so the grill, as the summer goes, this burner doesn't work all the way, that one. That's why I, I don't really send people to charcoal too much because most people can't get that constant, more even heat source. And they have a hard time cooking the stuff correctly. Okay, one steak so you're is done, gas, one's not. You're, you're going to come down on the side of the gas grill in the great gas charcoal debate, which we have hosted here on Sharp and Hot more than one time. The flavoring that you can get from charcoal, if you get the right charcoal, because the average modern charcoal does not give you that nice smoky taste to it. I don't think it enhances enough to what even cooking and having a control over the temperature of how you can actually cook the meat the right way, to me, is going to give you more flavor in the end than right. that little bit of smoke you're going to get from the charcoal. I, I feel like I've sort of organically come to a place where I reserve charcoal cooking for when we are at the beach or we're camping, and it's part of the whole experience. But if I'm just trying to get dinner done, I have a beautiful gas grill that I can walk outside, turn it on, click the button. It gets hot. I scrape it off. I cook my meat exactly. and I'm done. And so the ritual part of it I can reserve for times when I have a little bit more uh, time and energy to focus on it. And you will have a better chance at timing something. You know, a burger, nobody really times their burgers. But a steak, it should be timed. So how, if you're not going to time your burger, how do, how do you tell it's ready to be flipped? If we're not going to flip it more than once, which we've agreed we're not going to, how do you decide it's ready to be flipped? When the top surface, the raw surface of, the, of that side starts browning, it's time to flip your burger. And but it has to start browning. Some people flip it a little too soon and you get that stuck. It's stuck on the grill when you go to flip it. When it starts browning on the top, that means it, the heat has now penetrated the burger and is starting to go all the way through it. 
Now you want to flip it over to get that other side seared, so because you'll see it'll start leaking out the top. So they'll sear the other side and trap that juice inside. And do you keep the lid closed when you're grilling your burgers, or do you keep the lid open? No, I keep the lid open. Um, you know, you can have some wind situations that create that. Right. But for the most part, if you're not watching, it'll steam the meat. And it'll add some take. keeps that moisture trapped in there. It's almost like microwaving it. You know, and it'll actually make the meat a little rubbery, especially a burger. Okay. So then when you see the top of the meat, it's not going to brown like it was in contact with the grates of the grill, but it loses its pinkness. It starts to look cook, like it's It starts cooking. to look cooked. Absolutely. And then you see the, I look for the little sort of geysers of juice that are going to start moving upward out of that burger. And as soon as I see those, I know it's time to flip. Do you cook it for the same amount of time on the second side of the burger that you cooked it for the first side? No. No. I would always take, if you're using a, a basic f- four minutes aside, I would take a good minute, minute and a half off that other side. Because like I said, what that's telling you is the heat has penetrated all the way through now. So that meat in the middle has already started to cook. So if you do the same thing, you will end up more medi- more well done than you will medium rare. And then you take it off the grill. How long should you let it rest for before you decide you're going to bite into it? Burgers, I would tell you four to five minutes. A steak, I would tell you a good six okay. to eight minutes. It, they are sponges. When the, when the moisture in the meat is hot, it'll shoot out of that meat. You're really trying to give the meat a chance to absorb it back like a sponge. No different than you do with a turkey at Thanksgiving. And give it that chance. You'd be surprised how much more juice ends up in your mouth than on the plate. And it's so much more delicious when it's not 500 degrees. Like I, I, I end up, you know, or uh, I end up being super hungry because sometimes dinner gets pushed a little later than I wanted it to. We have a toddler at home, and so sometimes what was intended to be eaten at 5:30, it's like 6:30 or 7 or 7:30, and I'm like, dinner's ready. I'm going to bite into this burger, and then you get like. You can, not only is it hot and it burns, but you lose a lot of the flavor because it's so out of temperature whack that your mouth can't even like pick up the, the nuance of the grill flavor because it's so hot. And so I am a big fan of regardless of how excited you are to let it rest, which I find to be really hard at parties, too, because people want to just like dig in and grab the burgers. But you have to like hold everybody back for a minute. Absolutely. Your condiments will work a little better, too. If you don't put it on piping hot, there's some condiment. You're really destroying some of that flavor with that heat. And you right. know, as it sits a little bit, that the condiment will hold up a little stronger in its flavor. Right, because most condiments are fat-based. And so even if it's an oil, if that gets too hot, the ketchup's just going to run off, like slide off your burger because the fat's so hot. Now, you um, advocate grilling with beer as an ingredient, right? As opposed to something that you drink on the side, which I'm an advocate of. Yeah, well, of course, a six-pack. You don't need a whole six-pack to, to grill with the beer, so there's always a few left over for, for your own personal consumption. Um, the beer works very well for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's a taste that goes with so many different meats, you know, beef, pork, chicken. It goes great with all of them. And you're talking about making a marinade? Yes, actually marinating in it because one of the beauties here is is there's a lot of water in it, okay, which is good to bring moisture back, you know, into the meat. And when you go to cook it, it's the alcohol that burns off first. So it'll protect that, the water in the meat a little bit as okay. the alcohol burns off. Then the health advantage it does is it turns out that scientists have found that there's a chemical reaction on the surface from the antioxidants in beer, and a dark beer will work best. Wine will work too, but beer will work best. Like a Guinness or some sort of darker ale? Yes. Okay. And the antioxidants retard that charring process. 
So it does cut down what people look as the carcinogens that end up on the meat from the charring. Okay. And that concern, it does cut that down greatly. And really? adds all that moisture and flavor, so it's like a no-brainer to do. Uh, this, th- I find this fascinating because I, I don't know how... Do you know how that's possible? Like, do you understand the science behind it? Because to me, it's like a burn is... A, you know, if it's charring, it's charring. If it looks charred, then it is charred. But I'm... Well, what's happening is the antioxidants slow that down. Like, it won't happen as fast. So where you'd have a much thicker char normally, you will have a very light char. Does it help people who struggle to get perfect grill marks? Like, are your grill marks more defined if you've marinated in beer? Uh, I don't think it's not so much about the grill marks, but you have a better chance of it staying moist Okay. when you cook. I'm going to try this. Because some of the other marinades and stuff don't have as much water in them. Mm -hmm. And it is the water, like in the meat, that's evaporating so fast. So when you're adding a lot to that, and beer has a stronger flavoring to it, see, some of the other marinades, they can't hold up to both. And you end up losing losing that taste. Do you mix beer into your burger meat? That I've never I've never done. I've I never tried. If you could get it to stay in. I mean, I guess you'd have to use maybe up the breadcrumb quantity to hold your beer now, in. Now I will tell you, I have taken okay, and it became a great item. I took Peter Luger steak sauce and put it into turkey into turkey burgers because turkey being such a blank canvas, that steak sauce would evoke the beef memories. Mm. So you'd eat that turkey burger, and you'd have a chew that was like a burger, and it would kind of, you wouldn't feel so bad. It was turkey. And it became a very popular item because of it. We eat a lot of turkey burgers and turkey meatballs and turkey sliders in our house because they are delicious and uh, fast, and like you said, a blank canvas. I can make them, you know, with just parsley and some cooked shallot or, you know, on one night to make them simple, or we can take them to Vietnam and have a twist on a banh mi on a different night. Oh, absolutely. So versatile. So what are some um, mistakes that people make? I have one, one person uh, called in and said that she wants to know how to avoid um, cooking the hell out of her steak. That no matter how hard she tries, it just gets cooked too, too far. Okay, well, right off the top, grilling is high intense heat. Okay? So regardless of what you think, I, sell, I would rather sell somebody a steak an inch and a quarter and have them split that steak between two people than to say, I need two steaks, and you get them three-quarters of an inch because it's very difficult for the meat to hold up to that intense heat. When it's so thin. When it's so thin on right. the grill. It's such an intense heat. So and you're better... Bone, bone in or bone out? Uh, depending on the cut, how strong the flavor is in the cut. Um, but I would tell you, for the most part, I tell people boneless because most people at home do not get their money's worth and there's meat left on it, you know, you're better off not paying for it. Okay. Fascinating. I thought for sure you were going to say, I say bone in. I, I, well, you got to remember, I only deal with myself meat, the quality of a master purveyors. Right. That meat speaks for itself. It has so much flavor in it. And that's the other thing. If you buy the right cuts, the right quality, I'd rather you buy less of a portion and eat the best than to buy bigger portions and eat something that ends up bland and tasteless. So you actually, see, to me, I was taught it's all about the success. We were like beauticians to build a following. People needed to be successful when they went home. I just had this conversation with a lady at the library who was telling me that she would never be able to buy such high quality meat because, and we were talking in terms of the farmer's market, because it's so expensive and her husband, want, he's like a meat and potatoes guy and he wants a huge cut of meat. 
And I said, you know, it won't happen overnight, but you can re-educate your own expectations to want something so much better. And then you'll find that you don't need to have it hanging off both sides of the plate if it's more satisfying. And, it, you know, like I said, Absolutely. it's not you're not going to like one day be like, oh, you're right. You know, four ounces is better than 16 ounces. Uh, listen, I would tell you all the time and I can do it and prove it because when it comes to steak, especially people never forget that. It's an experience. If you're at a party and somebody says, oh, I had a great steak the other night, somebody else jumps in with, oh, you know, last time I had a great steak. It, it's that good and means that much to people. You are better off with a smaller portion that will just knock your socks off. We have to take a break, but you'll stick around and tell us more about Master Purveyors when we come back? Absolutely. That sounds excellent. was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson. In the, in the studio with me today is Ray Venezia from Master Purveyors. So, Ray, we were talking about sort of what to do with the meat once you get it home before the break. But tell me about a little bit more about Master Purveyors. You left Fairway to go with them and do other things. But what, what's about, what is it about their process that you're like, this place is different, this place is special? Well, as I mentioned, first of all, butchers are still roaming the earth there, real butchers. Um, And I'm not trying to disparage anybody. Um, The people out there today mostly cutting meat are meat cutters because they couldn't even get the education. So what's the difference for someone who doesn't know? What's the difference between just a a meat cutter and and a butcher? Well, a meat cutter takes the average fabricated primals of beef. You open up a box, you put a knife to it, you slice. Okay. When I say a butcher, I'm talking about like when I cut meat for my 40 years, Everything came hanging on a hook. A fresh side of beef. Recognizable still as an animal. Yep. 200 to 300 pounds is where everything started for every single pound you saw in a meat case. And we used to have to do that each and every day. And no different than whether you're building a house or making a car. When you do it by hand, you know it inside and out. When it comes with pieces you just snap together, you don't know it the same. It's the same way with meat. You know, I've taken, I've seen things in the meats over the years. You know, I've seen it all. I've touched it. I've felt it. I've had millions of pounds, literally, through my own fingers. I know meat. You can't get that opening up a box. Right. Okay, so now at Master Purveyors, what is that process? If it's not opening up a box, what does that process look like? The process is is it comes hanging on the hooks directly from the slaughterhouses, right into the buildings where it gets checked again for its quality and its freshness. We're not taking anybody's word for it. And that's the best way to check the meat when it's still in the whole pieces like that where you really get a good sense of the health of the animal, the conditioning of it, 
everything. It's easier to see there. You can't see that through a plastic bag. Then from there, it goes right into the room where real butchers start taking it all apart. And we start prepping it and preparing it for all the high-end restaurants in New York, Chicago, California. We ship to Japan, Korea. Because if you want the best, you come to Masters. So like I said, within 24 to 48 hours, this meat that was hanging on a hook is either in a restaurant and you're eating it. Or hopefully, you know, come by Father's Day, it's going to be in your own kitchen where you can just come online and get it sent directly to your house. So you've been doing this for 40 years. Was you, is this a family business or how did you become involved back, back when you were knee-high to a grasshopper? I am third generation. It was in my family. Um, my father didn't stay in it, but it went from my grandfather to my uncle and I stayed with it. My grandparents had the local store. They lived upstairs. My aunt lived above them. Where was this? In Elizabeth, New Jersey. Okay. We lived in the next yard, and my uncle lived in the yard on the other side. Um, so I was in the store all the time, in and out of the store. I mean, you're talking back in the day where I always tell people, you know, you think service, but you were family. A woman would come in at quarter to five, and my grandfather would yell at her and say, quarter to five? Now you're thinking about your husband? <laughs> I just cleaned the machine. But, but that was... That was the environment. You know, you, you talked to people. You knew people. They trusted you, and they would swear by you. And that's where it started. Then my uncle took it to the chain level because then the supermarket started up. And he worked for the chain in New Jersey, Mayfair Food Town, the only chain that still remained with hanging beef in the store. I have never worked with the boxed beef. And boxed beef is easier, but I didn't prefer it mm-hmm. because it's not the same product. Um, and then from there, I just kept going, and I jumped in Fairway because I had the opportunity to build a meat department my way, and the chicken still comes on ice every day, fresh. That's fresh chicken, not two weeks in a package. Um, I was able to do that, and now, you know, that's a big chain now, too, and I wanted to keep staying with how I could keep selling people the freshest product. And I know it's expensive. It always was. The nobles and kings ate meat, not the peasants. It was always a more expensive commodity. So it turns out now in the world, now that shipping is like so normal for everybody, the FedEx, UPS trucks are all over the place and we're really conquering it. I can get you meat fresher now at a better price directly to you than if I tried to set up a butcher shop and try and get you that meat that fresh. That's incredible. I mean, I, and you said it's, it's, not, it's easier to get it in a box but it's not what you prefer. And I feel like there's a, a movement back towards that in terms of like the supermarket, so much easier. Everything's in one place. You can go in, you get everything you need, but nothing nothing will resonate. I mean, not in my grocery store experience anyway. Nothing's excellent. Everything's like, yeah, I can feed my family. I can get my groceries. Mm-hmm. I, can get, I get my food groceries and I can get my laundry detergent and then I can go. But if I, I wish that I had, you know, um, be it online or physical, a store like you're describing that your grandparents had that you can like talk to somebody which I imagine you'll have some sort of customer service over the phone you'll be able to you'll be able to talk to me directly on the website that's awesome you, you can ask it's like a little Skype you can, well it says ask right <laughs> you know and I'm very happy holidays come this or that and you know give you suggestions on what to use how to make that fancy meal how to feed a big group that's excellent and still have quality product you know so we're very excited about it and I think one of the things that um Having access to human beings who know what they're talking about and not just somebody at a grocery store. And, not, and this is in no way to disparage grocery store meat counters. They serve a purpose. They provide a service. But I asked, you know, the other day if they had lamb loins. And he just looked at me like, like, like the bones? <laughs> and I was like, like you want, you know, because they sell the cryovac Frenched 
mm-hmm. rack of lamb. And I was like, well, sort of, but I wanted it a little bit bigger. And, and, and there was just no conversation to be had. Like, it was clear that we were speaking a different language. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be part of, um, you know, par- part of the heritage family, but also a greater cultural movement back towards people being really good at what they do. And it's obvious that you are so passionate about what you do and that you've done it for 40 years. I mean, do you ever, like, what would you do if you weren't a butcher? I wouldn't know anything else. Like you said, it's not, it was never a job. It was a lifestyle, you know, <laughs> and I had old school kind of teaching. They taught by embarrassment. That's how you learn. You know, you were not going to keep being embarrassed, but the difference back then was you knew to keep your mouth shut. And because that was your position you learned that's the advice i give to you know like people who tell me now i want to go to culinary school it's like just shut up for the first five years don't give anybody any of your ideas write them down in a book somewhere so that you can keep them for when you're ready to talk but just absorb what's going on and something so specialized as a craft of butchery like don't talk (laughs) it was to such a degree that my uncle used to tell me I don't care if it's the worst cutter in the room. You make sure you pay attention to what he does because he'll do one thing better than anybody else will do. Mm-hmm. Always make sure you're seeing what's going on. He used to tell me that all the time. What's in your refrigerator at home right now? What do you eat? My favorite is New York strip steaks, and I love skirt steaks on the grill. Um, so it's that time of year. And, of course, my kids are big burger eaters. Mm-hmm. So those are the three meats that are there. 24-7. I would also tell you that, you know, the timing of this with the website is perfect right now. Um, you couldn't have done this too soon, but as I go around now and see people are buying meat in stores, box stores. Yeah, I, I know. I go with my wife, Target, Walmart. These stores have full supermarkets inside and not a food person within 10 miles. I know. And I can't blame people for having to buy this way. So to me, the timing was absolutely perfect here to to get this thing launched and get people the right stuff. I'm so glad that you're here. How um, do you know what your turnaround time will be on retail shipping? Like if I order something today, will I get it in 24 to 48 hours? So I can plan. I could plan my weekend barbecue today, and the meat will be here in time for me to get it ready for the grill on Saturday. Absolutely. I'm very excited for you. Thank you so very much for coming. How can people find out more? Um, Like, is there do you? Have a website that doesn't Absolutely. exist yet, or can people go and look at a the website that uh, before? Well, they they fully can look launched. at the current website, and it's www.masterpurveyors.com, and the new site will be going up very shortly. Mm-hmm. We have some exciting stuff on there. We're going to be doing as it goes. I'll be doing tip videos, stuff like that. You know, different holidays will be coming up, and I go out there with some tips how to how to deal with it, what to use, how to carve, the whole thing, so awesome. that we can really become your butcher, your actual butcher. Butcher in your computer. <laughs> um, there was something else that I was going to ask you, and it just went out of my head. Oh, I know. What was your What's your earliest food memory? This is a question that I ask a lot of people because I feel like it harkens back. Like mine's eating quick out of the container that my dad left behind, and I didn't know you're supposed to stir it into milk. So, like, I have a very visceral memory of powdered chocolate milk in my mouth. Well, I do have to be honest. My my earliest food memories is standing next to the in the kitchen next to the sink next to my mother when she was making the lasagna just waiting for the broken pieces that she, when she would put the lasagna together and I would stand there like a puppy waiting for a biscuit. It was <laughs> what, I, one of my favorite things growing up. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with both my parents' shoulders in the kitchens as well. Well, how can people... Okay, so say it one more time. It's masterpurveyors.com. Masterpurveyors.com. And you're on Twitter at masterpurveyors, right? Yes. And can people... Do you have a website or are you... They can, they can go on to uh, Ray the Butcher at masterpurveyors.com. Like okay. When you go on the website, they can 
go right on there and email to me directly. There's going to be a line of people who are waiting for that that like email to come up. Ask Ray. Well, believe it or not, it's really funny because I w- did it when I was at Fairway also, and it's funny to people on computers because it'd be like eight o'clock at night. I'm still in the office ordering product for the next day because I had delivery seven days a week, and somebody would send something through. I'd answer, and next thing I know, I'd end up in a 15 minute conversation because they were just sitting, <laughs> you know, in the chair. And next thing you know, I get this long conversation. But again, I can talk endlessly about it. It's something I love to do, so it's never anything that bothers me. And you're very warm, and you're very like engaging and it's like as soon as you can remove the fear of like I don't want to overcook it like you give them a little bit of therapy like you can do this I'm going to get send you the right cut of meat and you're going to be successful like it's sometimes it's just hearing that from another adult be like it's going to be okay yeah it listen knowing what you're talking about does make a big difference I mean I went on one of the Rachel Ray's she and she did it right next to me we made crown roast of pork with two pieces of string and a potato peeler Wow. So that you could just buy a pork roast at the store and do this. Again, if somebody who knows the product knows exactly how to tell it, it does help an awful lot. Yeah. I think we have one of the links uh, to your Rachel Ray carving a turkey up on sharpenhot.com too. So people can see you demonstrate how to carve a Thanksgiving turkey. Meanwhile, thank you so much for coming. I truly appreciate it. On next week's show, we're going to bring up a little music here. On next week's show, I have a musician coming on, Taryn Blake Miller, who is the lead singer of a band called Your Friend and the voice you're about to hear. She's going to join us to talk about food and cooking. I'm very excited. And then also on that episode, Ashley Turner, who is the founder of a company called Farmbox Direct, will be on. So tune in for that. Thank you to Ray Venezia from Master Purveyors. Joanna and Gina, who helped make this happen. Thank you so much. Jack in the sound booth, who engineers the show. For more information about me, all of my guests, visit sharpenhot.com and follow me on Twitter at Chef Emily P. Maybe we'll hit 300 this week. Until then, everybody, keep playing with fire and knives. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. So-